0: Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. in my hands, probably the greatest influencer on the planet right now. I don't know if you can recognize his face. The CEO of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. This is the latest issue of Time magazine. You see, there's a little bar across his face, and it says, delete Facebook, question mark, delete or cancel. What's the big deal? Oh, Facebook has been in the news, as you well know. Some secret documents released. A whistleblower shows up in front of a congressional committee, and lo and behold, they're finding out that Facebook has been having a field day, and nobody knew about it. To the place Instagram, which Facebook owns, by the way, a private internal study found out that 32% of teen girls feel worse about their bodies because they're on Instagram. Go figure. Well, why didn't you get rid of it then? Well, because it's making a big profit, that's why. And then they find out, oh, my, Facebook, with great fanfare, releases this newsfeed Feed ranking algorithm, touting it as a way to increase meaningful social interaction, when, in fact, the algorithm is actually incentivizing divisive posts and misinformation. Well, why didn't you change the algorithm? Because controversy engenders more traffic. That's why. This year Facebook went over 1 trillion dollars of worth. Now with all this hullabaloo they've dropped down to 918 billion. Poor Facebook. Social influencers, huh? How to become one? New York Times ran a piece speaking of Instagram. New York Times ran a piece by a young woman writer and influencer, Lee Stein. And the editorial team gave her piece the title, The Empty Religions of Instagram. She goes after the super influencers on Instagram. These are women. She calls them Insta-evangelists and bemoans their shallow appeal to their followers. So we'll we'll put Lee Stein on the screen. I have a rather amazing confession, by the way, to make in The New York Times. I have hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager. But the pandemic has cracked open inside of me a profound yearning for reverence, humility, and awe. I have an overdraft on my outrage account. I want moral authority from someone who isn't shilling a memoir or calling out her enemies on social media for clout. And then she opens up her heart and we listen. I find myself craving role models my age who are not only righteous crusaders, but also humble and merciful, and I'm not finding them where I live online." Her words. Did you catch those two nouns and those three adjectives? What were those nouns? Crusader, role model. Three adjectives. Righteous, humble, merciful. And what was the verb? I find myself craving. Craving. I'm longing for somebody my own age who has the, the moral authority to be a righteous, humble, merciful influencer. I'll follow her. I'll follow him. But I can't find anybody. How to become an influencer. Today's installment An influencer, people are hungry. I guess we could change the word. An influencer, people are craving for. Let's pray. Oh, God, could they be here right now? Right here? These righteous, humble, merciful role models this world is hungry for? Please raise up a bold new band of influencers in this place at this time through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I suppose if there were one church plant that broke the heart of Paul more than any other church he planted, it would have to be the church plant in Corinth, decadent Corinth, fractured congregation Corinthians. Welcome to Paul's world. I want you to step into it with me right now. Go to 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. Come on, let's just get the opening salvo. I'll be in the NIV. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, his sidekick and mission, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified... Now, I put it in brackets because the Greek word sanctified really is "holyized." To the church in Corinth, those who are sanctified, who are holyized in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people, NIV. A lot of your translations say called to be His saints. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." End quote. (laughs) Can you believe that? To those who have been holyized. That's the word holy. To those who are holy people, saints. Holy, holy, holy. We are used to that language being used of God. Are you serious? You are using that language for the church in Corinth? Give me a break. Let's just take a moment and let our fingers do the walking through the white pages of the little letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 1, church fracture. Chapter 2, carnal members. Chapter 5, a major case of incest. The the son has married his dad's second wife, and they know what's going on, and the church says nothing. (laughs) Chapter 6, lawsuits between the church members. Oh, second half of chapter 6 every manner of sexual deviancy in the history of this new church plan. Chapter 7, on marriage. Chapter 8, squabbling over eating food offered to idols. Chapter 11, the abuse of the Lord's Supper. Chapter 14, chaos and worship. Chapter 15, confusion about the resurrection. Chapter 16, adios, I love you. I'm out of here. I tell you what, I wouldn't have lasted 16 chapters with that church. Paul hangs into the very last line, and he says, I'm gone. And by the way, this motley bunch of immoral new Christians who will eventually reject Paul as their pastor. Adios to you. They'll make up eventually. This church, this congregation of sinners, Paul says, you've been holy eyes. (laughs) Give me a break. You've been holy eyes. You are the holy people of God, the ones upon whom he pours his peace and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, either God is an eternal optimist, and he didn't have to be that with a ragtag bunch like that church plant, or the gospel is the good news about actual, demonstrable, transforming, life-changing grace and peace in Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, wouldn't you know it? Right here we find out. It's Jesus all the way through. i got to show you this. We just read the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 1, let's go to the last three verses, last two verses, all right? Drop down to verse 30. And 31. So Paul summarizes the chapter. It is because of him, the Father, that you, Corinthians, are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now, Paul is making two points here. One point is absolutely clear. The other is very subtly inserted. Let's get the two points. What's the the first point? Well, it's it's unmistakable. What Paul is saying is, really, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. Holy Scripture is all about Jesus. Calvary and the cross are all about Jesus. Holiness is all about Jesus. Righteousness and redemption are all about Jesus. (laughs) That's the point. It's all about Jesus. Listen, you're a mess. If you're gonna boast, don't you dare boast about yourself. Boast in Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. But the subtle underlying second point, oh, we can't miss it. It's not only all about Jesus, but guess what? No matter how messed up you are in Jesus, you can become holy. My, 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 my. In Jesus, no matter how messed up you are, you can become holy. Whoa. Come on, church. You've been holyized in Christ Jesus. Come on, church. you You are the holy people of God. You talking about us? Yo, Paul, you talking about us? I am. Holy, holy, holy. Three times in chapter 1, he will use the word holy. Three times. Why? Because Paul's making a point. Holiness is a big deal. But guess what? It's not only a big deal to Paul, it's a big deal to the Roman Empire. You're not going to believe this. (laughs) I got to share this with you. N.T. Wright, in that wonderful book of his, Paul, a biography, points out the big deal holiness is in the pagan empire of Rome. You ready for this? Here we go. The powerful appeal of holiness, which Wright has been talking about, the powerful appeal of holiness is counterintuitive for modern Westerners, that would be you and me, who generally resent From an early age, the fussy moralisms of home, school, and church. Rules, 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 rules. That's all my mommy and daddy talk about. Rules, rules. Rules, rules. That's all this school is about. Rules, rules. Rules, rules. The church, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Make up your mind. What should we? Yeah. He nailed us. Our Western resentment from an early age of... Fussy moralisms. Let's read it again. The powerful appeal of holiness is counterintuitive for modern Westerners who generally resent from an early age... oh, you know, we've got to admit it. The fussy moralisms of home, school, and church. Now, keep reading. How? And this is what we're thinking. How could a new and demanding standard of behavior like holiness ever be attractive to the Roman Empire? Listen up. This may tell us about the empire of the United States. In the ancient world, however, this was good news, this thing, this business of holiness. This was good news for many, especially for those women, the poor, ethnic minorities, slaves, and children who were the most vulnerable to the normal patterns of pagan behavior. We're talking about sexual behavior, social behavior, ethical or non-ethical, moral behavior. Those were all vulnerable to an empire gone wild. Whoa. I never thought of it that way. This perception seems to lie... Oh, this is good. Seems to lie behind the sneaking admiration that came from the famous second-century Dr. Galen. Have you ever heard of Dr. Galen? You have now. He he wrote a book on the anatomy of the human body that remained in force until 1100 A.D. 1,000 years, his book was the numero uno textbook for medicine. So this physician, he makes a comment about Christians. Watch this. Dr. Galen, in his only mention of the Christian movement in the Roman Empire, he comments on two points. Number one, they believed in the resurrection of the body, and number two, they didn't sleep around, end quote. Amazing. What's going on here? Hey, have you noticed these strange countercultural people? They believe that after they die and they go into this hole in the ground, they're gonna come up again one day, and they'll be alive. Can you believe that? And, oh, by the way, they don't sleep around. In other words, they live by a moral code of purity, of honesty and integrity. They have an ethical, moral behavior that distinguishes them from the rest of this bankrupted culture and empire. Mercy. I just heard that a few moments ago, only it was Lee Stein. She's making the identical point as Galen. I can't find in this bankrupt culture anybody my age that could become a righteous, with moral authority, role model for me. Whoa. What's going on here? This holiness business isn't just about you and me and rules, 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 rules. No, 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 no. Something else is going on here. I find myself craving role models my age who are righteous, humble, and merciful. She may as well have simply said, I wish I had a holy role model. You know, I wish that she knew you. I wish that you knew her, because you could be an influencer who could change her mind and change her life, given half a chance. Turns out that this business of this body coming out of a hole in the ground, this resurrection business, has everything to do with holiness and the moral, high moral code the followers of Jesus choose to live by. In fact, take a look at Paul's call to holiness in this book. You're not going to believe it, but it's embedded in the chapter on sex. Let's go to the chapter on sex. Come on, it's just five pages over. Uh, First Corinthians chapter six. Watch this. This is this this will surprise you. First Corinthians, chapter 6. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 12. I have the right. Now, what's going on here is Paul is quoting the people in this church plant. So he's heard all this stuff. So he's setting up this little dialogue as he's writing. He said, "Okay, okay, I know what you guys are saying. You say, I have the right to do anything. But Paul is responding. Yo, yo, everything is... Not everything is beneficial. Why would I want to do anything when not everything is beneficial? Oh, I hear what you're saying. I have the right to do anything. But guess what? I'm not going to be mastered by anything, and neither would you. Think about what you're saying. Keep reading. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. In other words, Gratify, 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 gratify. If it feels good, do it. If it tastes good, eat it. Gratify, gratify. Paul says, you're crazy. You can't live by that. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He goes on. By his power... Good night. In the middle of sex, he's going to introduce the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. (laughs) My, 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 my. What's going on here? Paul's call to holiness is clearly based... This this much we can agree on. It's clearly based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's the big deal about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, come on. We we know the answer. It's it's, it's that God is able to unleash power that took the body of Jesus out of the grave, and He's going to be able to do the same with our dead bodies one day. Yahoo! But the problem is, listen, we limit God. We have only half of resurrection power when we limit God to what's going to happen one day after we all die. We think that the power of God unleashed to resurrect our Lord Jesus is a power to be unleashed one day, manana, one day He'll raise us all. And we miss the truth that the resurrection of God, the resurrection power of God is not only one day yet to come, it is today, right now, power. Power for you. Power for me. Right now. That's what Paul is saying. There is no sin. That's what Paul is referring to. There is no sin that can hold us captive, that can hold us in the dead end of sins. Can't hold us in that dead place. Christ Jesus has resurrecting power that can pull us out of that deep hole we've sunk into. How about sexual sin? Yep. Well, I suppose if Paul's Paul's call to holiness covers sexual sin, it It must cover everybody else's sins. Come on. Paul goes on. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? (laughs) Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Doesn't matter who who you... hook up with, you're one flesh now, and if you have multiple hook-up partners, you're one flesh with a lot of people. No. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with Him in spirit. Flee, therefore, from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Here comes holyizing all over again. Temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God. You are not your own. Come on. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I got a call from the church office one day while I was working on my sermon. There's a college student here crying his eyes out. He needs to talk. I was glad to come in. I sat down with that young man. Oh, what a sexual mess he had gotten himself into through a sexual affair with a, with a married woman, and it looked hopelessly muddled. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And he says, yo, guys, some of you were just like that. You see, we forgot to read a verse. It's the one that comes before 12. We started with 12, but let's go back to 11. And that, that is what some of you were. But you were washed, Created me a clean heart of God. We knew a right spirit within me. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You were washed. You were sanctified. There it is again. You were holyized. You were justified. You were pardoned and forgiven in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. By the way, that young man, I'm happy to tell you, that young man came to Jesus and got his life completely turned around. We had Bible studies together with him and his fiancée. And I was at their wedding. Oh, my. Such were some of you, Paul writes to the Corinthians. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary and his resurrection three days later, don't separate these. You got holy eyes. Divine power was unleashed in your heart, unleashed in your life, and you found the victory over your sexual sins. Which, by the way, is good news for every sinner sitting here right now, and that's pretty much everybody. You got the victory. Wow. You see, Jesus' death I got to tell you this, because some people think Jesus' death is only about pardon, and they really emphasize the pardon. The pardon, the pardon, the pardon, the pardon. Okay, so that's okay, but that's only half the gospel. It's not just pardon. Oh, yes. In crimson colors, God signed His name to the emancipation papers of the human race. I have forgiven. I have pardoned every human being who ever lived or will live until I return. Everybody's been forgiven. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus' prayer covers every sinner who ever lives. I get that part. Pardon. Let's not, let's not forget the pardon. But we miss the profound second half of the gospel. It's not pardon now. It's power. You can't have pardon without power if you're gonna live the life that you and Jesus will live together. Well, wow. the power of Almighty God to holyize his friends, to holyize the likes of you and me, sinners, to the core. I can holyize you. I'll call you Holy One. No, no, I got resurrecting power. Don't wait for me down here. I can do it right now. Power. Any sin? Yep. The power God offers to keep his friends from sinning. That's why Joseph can cry out, how can I do this great wickedness, Mrs. Potiphar, and sin against God? Power to say no. Because you know what? Sin is relational. That's the truth about sin. Sin is anything I let into my life. Sin is any behavior. Sin is any thought. Sin is anything that cuts me off from God catches my eye, turns my heart, severs my relationship with God. Any sin will have that same result. Not just sexual sin. Any sin. What I'm going to read to you right now, i just warn you, is uncomfortable. But you and I need to hear it. Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, he writes... We often say... I've heard this so many times. I've said it so many times. We often say, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Oh, this is blessedly true. Well, I'm glad we got that quickly stated. This is true. God hates the sin and loves the sinner, but keep reading. But too often, you and me, we quickly rush over the first half of this sentence to get to the second. God hates the sin, but God loves the sinner. That's how we read that sentence. Bridges says, Come on. Come on. We cannot escape the fact that God hates our sins. We may trifle with our sins or excuse our sins, but guess what? God hates them. He hates them. Isn't that true? I mean, if your lover were turning her her heart to another man, not only would you have a broken heart, you would have an enraged heart. Do you know what you did when you let that other person into our relationship? Do you know what you did? You just broke what we had. Of course you would be mad. Don't you go grumping around here about, oh, God hates sin. What kind of a grump is he? You hate sin. You hate sin, and you know it. So let's not have a hard time with this very bold, simple declaration, God hates my sins. Anything that turns me. Anything that gets me looking. Anything that takes me away from Him. Therefore, Every time we sin, we are doing something God hates. Hey, listen, Bridges didn't invent this. He's just as quoted, Zechariah eight seventeen. God has listed the sins of Israel, and he says, For all these things are what I hate. You hate sin. So let God be God. He hates our lustful thoughts. He hates our pride and jealousy. He hates our outbursts of temper. He hates our rationalization that the end justifies the the means. We need to be gripped by the fact that God hates all these things. We become so accustomed to our sins, we sometimes laugh into a state of peaceful coexistence with them, but God never ceases to hate them. Boy, that sentence got me right there. I know what sin is. I know what I live with. It's not a big deal, God. I'll get over it someday. No, it's a big deal. I hate it because it's cutting you off from me. It's cutting you off from me. Wow. Then he draws a moral based on what he's just taught us. We need to cultivate in our own hearts the same hatred of sin God has. Now, come on, come on. Listen carefully now. We need to cultivate in our own hearts the same hatred of sin God has. Hatred of sin as sin. Not just something disquieting or defeating to ourselves, but as displeasing to God. Hatred of sin lies at the root of all holiness. Did you get that? Hatred of sin lies at the root of all holiness," and you're saying, whew, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that holiness is really not that big a deal to me, so I don't have to worry about it. Oh, you don't mean that. You do not mean that. Do you know what? Apparently, you've never read this line in Holy Scripture. Hebrews 12, 14, Make every effort to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. You will never see the face of Jesus, ever, without holiness. In the Old Testament, that's why. In the New Testament, that's why. God will cry out, Be holy. 1 Peter 1:15. Because I am holy. Be holy. Please. Father and son, father and daughter, let's be like each other. Be holy. By the way, when God says, I am holy, he really, he certainly is declaring, I am wholly yours. Now, it's awfully quiet in here right now, and I understand why. The Holy Spirit speaking to all of us right now. But I have some good news about this word holy. That it's, not the, it's not the bad four-letter word that you think it is. In fact, if you will misspell the word holy, you'll get it right. Here's holy. Here's holy. Just spell holy this way, and you'll get that holy right. Because God looks at you and me, and do you know what he says? I am holy yours. And I'm asking for you to be wholly mine. Fair enough. There's no wedding that takes place in this church ever where the man up front says, Yes, I, I, yes, yes, preacher, I got, I got those vows. Now, I, I'm, I've, I've revised them because I've written my own, and that is, I will be 50% faithful to her. There's nobody that writes it that way. Every young person up here that I oversee repeating their vows is declaring, I am wholly yours, so you be wholly mine. You belong to me. I belong to you. Holy, holy, holy. It's not bad news at all. Whatever might come between God and me, whatever might threaten or sever our relationship, you know what? God, I just want to go on record publicly. I want to remove it. When Jesus walks into the temple at the end, and they'll kill him for this, when he walks into the temple, you know what he cries out? Take this stuff out. When Jesus walks into the temple of my heart, the holy temple of my heart, and he sees what's in it, and he cries out, take these things hence. He needs somebody to pick the stuff up and walk it out. He didn't walk it out. He said, you take this out. I am wholly yours, and I want you to be wholly mine." As Jerry Bridges put it, we need to cultivate in our own hearts the same hatred of sin God has. Hatred of sin as sin, not just as something disquieting or defeating to ourselves, but as displeasing to God. Hatred of sin lies at the root of all holiness, and without holiness, You won't see the Lord. I won't see the Lord. I wish there were some nice little story I could tell now that would blunt the force of this very blunt reminder. Holy, holy, holy. We need to cultivate in our own hearts the same hatred of sin God has. How do you blunt that? But maybe... Could it be that you and I... There's something you and I could do. What if we prayed to Jesus to give us a hatred for sin? We ask Him. He already knows the sins in your life. It's not like you have to tiptoe around. You can be very, totally authentic and transparent with Christ. He already knows. So we ask Him, could you give me a hatred for sin? Like yours. I want that kind of hatred. My mother taught me as I was growing up, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you you can prevent them from making nests in your hair. Did your mother ever tell you that? She says, you can't stop. You can't stop temptations coming, flying by you. But you can keep the temptation from landing in your hair and moving that all aside and making a nest in your life. That's sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. The sin comes when I let the bird build a nest in my hair. I tell you what, my own a little struggle that I go through of late, it seems like the devil has hired a flock of birds to keep flying over my head. And I have to remind myself that's not a sin, Dwight, if they only fly over. There's some times when I wish I had a shotgun. Keep your flock to yourself. There is no shotgun. But there can be a prayer. God is not going to remove temptation. Temptation is what grows you. It grows you into who you are. The birds flying overhead are not a sin. Oh, God, help me, please. Help me to hate the sin you hate. This is a little prayer I'm gonna... You, 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 you just memorized it. If you just read it, you already got it memorized. This is the prayer to pray. Oh, God, help me to hate the sin you hate through the resurrection power of my Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Help me to hate the sin you hate. I believe that when we pray that prayer, the more we pray that prayer, the more we will hate that sin. It doesn't happen overnight. Nobody said it has to. It doesn't have to. But why don't we ask for that hatred that he has? I'm going to end with something from this wonderful little book that I keep close to me. It's called Steps to Christ. This is so beautiful. I'll end with these words. I'm not putting them on the screen. No, I want you to listen to them. You You won't listen to them if they're on the screen. Page 64, Steps to Christ. There are those who have known the pardoning love of Christ. Oh, that's you. That's me. And who really desire to be children of God. I know that's you. That's me. Yet they realize that their character is imperfect, their life faulty, and they are ready to doubt whether their their hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. That's you and me, too. Is it really getting through? Do I talk about it up front but not experience it privately? To such I would say... Oh, this is beautiful. To such I would say, do not draw back in despair. Oh, listen to this. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. Often. But we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are... Listen. Even if we are overcome by the enemy... We are not cast off. Hallelujah. We are not forsaken. Hallelujah. We are not rejected of God. Praise be to Him. Listen. God desires to restore you to Himself, to see His own purity and holiness. There's the word. He longs to see His own purity and holiness reflected in you. And good news. If you but yield yourself to Him, he that has begun a good work in you will carry it forward until that work is done at the return of Jesus. So pray more fervently. Believe more fully. As we come to distrust our own power, let us trust the power, the resurrection power of our Redeemer, and we shall praise him who is the health of our countenance. Amen and amen. What do you say? Amen, folks. This is not bad news. This is the best news we've heard because it'll kill us. Sin will kill us if we ignore it or say, manana. No, no. Today. Resurrection power right now. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I am wholly yours. Please, be holy, mine. I want to sing. But before we do, I want to give you an opportunity to get this quotation. Let's go to our Connect moment, if you'll just take your device out, and text PAUL4. This is where we're at. Text PAUL4 to the familiar number, 269 2345 I got at a speed dial in, in my, my cell phone now. Just text PAUL4 to that number. And I did this last night. Bingo. Half a second, I'm telling you. Suddenly, there's a link. You click on the link. You get these next steps. My next step today is, I want to be holy as God is holy. I can't imagine any of us saying, no, no, I don't want to be holy. Of course we do. I want to ask Jesus to give me a hatred for the sins I committed. If you, text, if, you, if you check that, I'll send you that sample prayer. I love the promise embedded in that Steps to Christ quotation. Please send me a copy. I will. I'll send you the page. Ah, read it every day. We shall often have to fall at Jesus' feet in tears. It's okay. We're all in this together. But if we fall at his feet, we can stand in his holiness. And number four, I'd like to follow Jesus and be baptized. You haven't been baptized yet? There's no there's no more powerful way to unite your life to the holiness of Christ, the love of God, than through baptism. Put a check mark there, we'll be in touch with you electronically. All right, singers. Sing for us. I want to pray as you're getting ready. Oh God, thank you for the good news. it blunt? Yeah. Very direct. You are. Life is at stake, Father. Don't let us blow this off. Some of us are going to try to forget as fast as we can what we just heard. May the third person of the Godhead who heard us hear it. Keep it alive. Don't give that boy any rest. Don't give that girl any rest. That aged one, don't give them rest until we act and pray until you show us We can hate the sin you hate and love the Lord we love. In Jesus' name, amen.